My name is Mark Walker. I'm the senior pastor of Mount Perry North, our Marietta and Canton campus. For those of you that I've not had the opportunity of meeting, we, we have a teaching team uh, made up of both campuses uh, that help me kind of put together what our sermon series are going to be throughout a year. Jeremy Isaacs, who's the campus pastor here, he's a part of that team. And then Josh Rice, who's at Marietta, and he preaches there when I'm out here and my son Justin who's with us part-time as he's working on his PhD at Emory they they make up the teaching team and in our last meeting uh, I don't know I guess it's been several weeks ago now they were making fun of me because I didn't realize this and they said there's a pattern with me that when we get into long sermon series that when we get towards the end of that sermon series I must get tired of it somehow because I tend to go a different direction than and preach something different than what we had said we were going to preach well, at the risk of being made fun of, I'm going a different direction today. And, and I hope it's not me. I hope this is um, the leading of the Holy Spirit. At least I, I try to let that be the case. This past week, I, I spoke at a conference, and the message that I, I put together for that conference, I don't know, it just seemed that the Holy Spirit, uh, I, you know, I don't, I don't know how you perhaps hear the Holy Spirit or whatever, but just kind of this this impulse or this nudge that, that this is what I needed to share today here at Canton. And so I, I'm sharing what I, I shared earlier this week. And, you know, we, got, we had a lot of things different about today. We had our kids sing, Pastor Jeremy's not here, and I'm changing direction. So I might as well go all the way. And I'm actually going to speak from a manuscript, which I don't normally do. So I want to talk to you with the help of the Lord out of Habakkuk, which is a little bitty book tucked away in the Old Testament simply entitled a message called The Place of Yet. The Place of Yet. Let's, let's pray. Father, we thank you for your Holy Spirit. We thank you for these great kids that we've just witnessed and all of the folks that went into helping them and teaching them over this weekend. We are eternally grateful for the 13 young lives that gave themselves to you and chose to follow Jesus Christ. We pray for them specifically as well as their families that they will continue to grow in you. And for any child, Father God, that hasn't made that decision, that was a part of VBS, I pray that they do so in the, in the next coming days and weeks. Father, enable me now to share what you want shared. Open our hearts to hear God, and I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. I, I heard the story of a man called Farmer Bill. And Farmer Bill, unfortunately, had a wife that was a... She was just a big nag. She, she was constantly verbally... Uh, 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 accosting him every morning every night and his only solace was that he could go out during the day and plow the back 40 with his mule well one day he had forgotten his lunch and so his wife had to go out to the back 40 and bring his lunch to him and as soon as she got out there she just gave him up one side and down the other and the mule got tired of it kicked her in the head and killed her at the funeral the pastor was standing there and he noticed that during the viewing the women would walk up to Farmer Bill and say something, and Farmer Bill would nod his head yes. But when the men walked up to him and said something, Farmer Bill would shake his head no. And, and, and the pastor noticed this pattern, so it was curious to him. And after the service was over, he pulled Farmer Bill aside, and he said, Hey, Farmer Bill, I couldn't help but notice that during the viewing, the women would come up to you and say something, and you would nod your head yes. But when the men came up to you, they said something, you, you shook your head no. What was the... What was the deal with that? And he said, oh, he said, well, when the women came up to me, they said, your wife looks beautiful in that dress, doesn't she? And I would shake my head, yes. The men came up and asked, is that mule for sale? 
Think about it a moment. It's interesting that two people can experience the same thing and have two different perspectives on what's going on. The women said, this is a beautiful lady laying in the casket. The men said, I want that wife kicking mule if I can get it. You know, some people can get a silver lining out of every black cloud. But then there are those other people who have the uncanny ability of finding every little black cloud in any silver lining. But there's sometimes there are situations and circumstances that come into our lives that it's just very difficult to find the positive. That no matter what kind of a silver lining person you might be, it's difficult sometimes to find the upside of what you're going to. It's easy with all that's happening around us in our world today and what we see going on in our nation. It's easy to get fearful. It's easy to become very anxious. It's easy to get cynical, to become skeptical, to even become disillusioned. I mean, with what we still see happening with ISIS, and it seems like their power seems to be increasing with greater intimidation and the greater killing of Christians especially. What did we see just last week? The killing of five Marines at the recruitment offices in Chattanooga. And then just a couple of days ago, the shooting that takes place in a theater in Louisiana killing two people. And then we've also seen the Planned Parenthood allegations of selling aborted body parts and tissues. And then just the racial tension within this nation that seems to be smoldering and ready to explode at any moment. And then what do we also see in our, in our capital, in our, in our nation's capital in D.C. and among our political leaders? The constant tension between them and the scandal that just seems to keep existing among the leaders. And then with all of that, I don't know about you, but it is so dad-blamed hot outside. Do I have an amen in the house on that? I mean, what is up with that? I know this is Georgia. I've lived here all my life, but it is so hot. The only positive thing I get out of this kind of weather is I, it just helps me to thank God I'm not going to hell. That's the only real positive thing. Thank God for Jesus Christ and saving my sins. And then all of that stuff, you add to your own personal problems your own challenges, your own issues that you have to deal with maybe on a daily basis. And it's easy to get depressed, to get fearful, to just want to withdraw, even to become angry and almost hopeless. Well, one of the 12 minor prophets in the Old Testament, Habakkuk, finds himself in this very place. In the Old Testament, there are 12 different writings from 12 different prophets we call them minor prophets we also have five writings in the old testament from five prophets we call them major prophets the only difference between the five major prophets and the 12 minor prophets and call them major and minor is that the major prophets wrote longer books the minor prophets wrote shorter books and Habakkuk is one of those little minor prophets and Habakkuk might be speaking perhaps better than anybody else in the bible to what's going on in our world and our nation right now Habakkuk is living in a time when he writes, when Israel and Judah are in crisis and in corruption. Babylon is the world power of the day, and it's poised on the borders of Judah to invade and take Judah captive. Now, Habakkuk knew that Israel's army was no match for Babylon's army, as he's very worried and he's very concerned. He's in great distress, but he's even more distressed about the people of Israel and their open rebellion to God. They have no fear or reverence of God, and they won't turn in repentance. It's a dire situation for Habakkuk, and nothing seems to be happening that's good. He doesn't see any silver lining, and he's very fearful. Now, Habakkuk is different 
than the other prophets that we read about because the other prophets primarily told the people what God was saying, but Habakkuk tells God what the people are saying, or at least what Habakkuk is feeling within his heart. And Habakkuk does something that I think every one of us have done at some point in time. He's asking God why. He's asking God, do you see what's going on? Do you see what's happening? Are you aware of anything that's taking place? He says, do you see the people that are walking with you? Do you see the people that are standing with you? Are you just going to let them be swept away by the rebellion of all the other people that are against you? Are you seeing, do you know what's happening in our lives, God? And I know some of us find ourselves in that place. And maybe when we see what's happening around us, we ask those questions. In fact, let's just listen to Habakkuk's opening words as he writes in Habakkuk 1, beginning in verse 2. Just listen to what he says. He says, How long, Lord, must I call for help, but you do not listen? Or cry out to you violence, but you do not save? Why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrongdoing? Destruction and violence are before me. There is strife and conflict abounds. Verse 13, Your eyes are too pure to look on evil. You cannot tolerate wrongdoing. Why then do you tolerate the treacherous? Why are you silent while the wicked swallow up those more righteous than themselves? Maybe we've had similar questions about God. Maybe we've had similar thoughts. Habakkuk finds himself there. But then this wonderful, gracious God speaks to Habakkuk, and he reaffirms with Habakkuk. He knows what's going on. He's there. He, he sees what's taking place, and he's at work. And Habakkuk hears God. And in the last part of his writing, the last several verses, Habakkuk kind of sums up the situation. And this is what I want to focus on for the remaining moments of our time together. In Habakkuk 3, verses 17 through 19, listen to what Habakkuk says. He says, Though the fig tree does not bud, and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails, and the fields produce no food, food though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, yet, say yet, I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of the deer. He enables me to tread on the heights. In these remaining verses that Habakkuk writes, there's a very powerful, small, three-lettered word called yet. It's a powerful word. It's an adverb that has several different meanings, but all these different meanings have one similar theme, and that is the idea of something future. When you add the adverb yet to a sentence, it gives an indication of something to come, something future, something anticipated. The word yet in a sentence shifts the mood. It shifts from this is what's going on to this is what can happen, to, this, to, a, to a hopeful type of direction. And anything that's on the left-hand side of the yet in a sentence, that's the what is side. That's the what's going on side. Everything to the right-hand side of the yet in a sentence, that's the, that's the what can be side. And one of the meanings of yet that I love is it means in spite of everything. Say that with me. In spite of everything. I love that because here's what Habakkuk seems to be saying. He's saying in spite of all this loss, all the damage, all the ruin, all the suffering, there is hope and a future. There's something better that is coming. Habakkuk is living in what I call the place of yet. He is facing which side of yet is he going to live on? The what is side, the left-hand side, or the what can be side, the right-hand side. Maybe you find yourself there. Maybe you find yourself with some of your own issues and situations that you're dealing with. Maybe with some of the stuff that's happening in our nation and around the world has got you kind of 
more living in the left-hand side of yet than the right-hand side. Maybe you find yourself more seeing the dire side of things than the hopeful side of things. So how do we live in this place of yet? I want to offer three observations about this place of yet. And then I want to have a time of just prayer with you this morning. The first thing I would look at in, in observing this place of yet is that the place of yet is not a place of denial. It's not a place of denial. Some people say, look, if you're going to focus on the positive, you can't even acknowledge the negative. You've you, you got to treat it as if it doesn't even exist, that that's not even there. And then just be positive. I really don't think that's healthy. Not to mention, I don't think it's godly. But when you look at Habakkuk, Habakkuk doesn't say, hey, everything is great. There's nothing wrong. There's no hurt. There's no suffering. Everything is fine. Habakkuk is not in a state of denial. He acknowledges the reality of the situation and that it isn't good. See, the reason why I think denial is, is not godly is because if we don't acknowledge their suffering, if we don't acknowledge there's some kind of pain in this world, then why do we need a Savior? Why do we not? I have to acknowledge there's something wrong. There's something not right. And if we as a church don't see that there's some type of wrong and hurt and pain in the world, then there's no way for us to really meet the needs of people. We have to acknowledge that they're suffering. We have to acknowledge the pain. See, I'm grateful to God that he wouldn't live in a state of denial concerning my sin and the suffering that was in my life. Just think where we would be if God was in denial about our sin and our suffering, but he didn't ignore it. He didn't turn his back on us. He's not turning his back to our pain and our suffering. He hasn't stuck his head up in the heavenly clouds and acted like, well, there's nothing really going on down there. That's not what he did at all. What did God do? in the midst of our pain and suffering. He stepped smack dab in the middle of it through the person of Jesus Christ. He has come to our place of sin and suffering. He acknowledges what sin and wickedness have done in our lives and to his creation. And he came with great compassion and mercy in Jesus Christ to forgive us of our sins, to empower us to live victorious over our sins, and to be able to walk through and overcome inner suffering that this world would bring. He did not walk around when Christ lived on this earth. He didn't walk around in some supernatural bubble that incubated him and insulated him from any of the pain and suffering in this world. Christ knows what it means to hurt. He knows what it means to be tired. He knows what it means to be misunderstood and misrepresented. He knows what it means to be abused. He knows what it means to be emotionally distressed. He even knows what it means to have to deal with a dysfunctional family. Do you know that Christ's family thought he was insane? They thought he was out of his mind. In fact, there's one place in the New Testament where Jesus Christ is talking to a house, a group of people in a home, and his family shows up, and the way the Greek is written, it means they came to actually put him away, to take him out of society and put him in a rubber room. He knows about family issues. He knows what it means when his closest friends betray him, and they said they would be there in his greatest need. No, God has not denied our suffering. He has not looked away. He knows exactly where you and I are. Are. And he's saying to Habakkuk, and he's saying to you and I today, he knows our suffering, he knows our frustration, he knows our fatigue, he knows our fear, whatever else it is that we're struggling with, and he wants us to know that he is at work. No, the place of yet is not a place of denial. We acknowledge, yes, this, this is the pain and the reality of what we're dealing with. But the difference is we look at the situation. We don't live in the situation. That leads us to the second 
observation of the place of yet. It's not a place of denial, but the place of yet is the place of, for the divine. It's the place where God does his greatest work. And the place of yet is where I experience and I know the persevering strength and power of God. It's in the place of yet where God who is in control takes control. I want us to look at verse 19 of Habakkuk 3 and see what Habakkuk says about God, this divine God who's in the midst of our situation. This is what it says, Habakkuk 3, 19. The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to tread on the heights. Can you read that out loud with me, please? The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to tread on the heights. The first thing we got to see is that God is sovereign. He's in control. He knows what's going on. He, 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 he um, has not taken a vacation. He, he isn't unaware. He knows exactly what's taking place. Now, I don't understand the sovereignty of God all that much. Anybody in here really understand the sovereignty of God? I don't understand how God is able somehow, someway, to work in the choices of the wicked and the righteous and somehow align them all together to carry out his redemptive plan and purpose. God is amazing. He's able to work through the free will of all of us. Yet in that free will and not violate that free will, he's able to make it all work together to carry out his plan and purposes. That's mind-boggling to me. But here's the deal. His sovereignty isn't based on my ability to understand it. And I thank God for that. I don't have to know how it works. I just have to know that he knows. Now imagine all of us times when we walk through very difficult places and maybe you're in a difficult place right now that you can look back and you can see where God's sovereign hand was at work in that journey of of pain or that journey of suffering or that journey of difficulty that you were walking through maybe we didn't see it as we were walking through it but when we get to a place where we have some ability to look back we can see God's sovereign hand here's what I've been learning in my life I may not understand God's sovereignty, but I can trust it. I, I can trust what he's doing. And Habakkuk says, you're the sovereign Lord. Then he says more about the sovereign Lord. He says, the sovereign Lord is my strength. Now that word strength means to be like a military fortress that is invincible and impenetrable and will never fall. Listen to what he said. He said, my sovereign Lord is my impenetrable, invincible fortress that will never falter or fail. That's the divine God that's at work where you are right now. But Habakkuk goes on. He says, the sovereign Lord who is my strength, what does it say? He says, makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to tread on the heights. Now, deer are known for their swiftness. They're known for their sure-footedness. And because of that, listen, when a deer is threatened by danger, it's able to evade the threat by going up to the high places where although the footing is more treacherous, they can stand because God's given them the type of feet that can stand in the most treacherous of places. So even though the ground where they're standing is more unstable, it's the way of escape for the deer. He's able to rise above the danger. So here's what Habakkuk seems to be saying. He's saying that God is my impenetrable, invincible fortress who will give me feet like a deer that when tough times come my way, he'll not allow me to stumble and fall under the weight of it. Instead, he'll enable me by his power to rise above it, walk through it, and come out on the other side better 
than what I went in. Is that the kind of God where you're right at right now? Your footing right now, it may feel very unstable. You may find yourself feeling like your footing is in a very treacherous place. But know this, your sovereign God is at work establishing your feet that you're not going to collapse, but you're going to be able to stand strong. And the last word he says about the Lord is that he enables me to tread on the heights. That word height is a military type of term. It's the idea of a stronghold on high ground. In military strategy, they always want to kind of get the, the upper ground so you can have superiority over your enemy. So here's what Habakkuk seems to be saying. He's saying, look, I don't have anything. Nothing seems to be coming in. It's empty. Everything's broken down around me. It's torn up. Yet, I have a God who is sovereign and in control. He is my impenetrable, invincible fortress that will never falter or fail. And by his power, he'll give me the strength and the sure-footedness to rise above the things that are coming after me. And when the suffering seems to have the high ground on me and wants to overtake me, my God will take me higher so that I can overcome and I can stand. That's the divine God in your place of yet. So the place of yet is not a place of denial. It's a place of the divine. And then lastly, here's what I would suggest to you. The place of yet is a place of decision. It's a place of decision. This, this is the key to the whole victory that's available to us in the place of yet. The decision is this. Which side of the yet am I going to live on? Am I going to live in the what is and the why, the left-hand side of the yet? Or am I going to live in the who is and what who can do on the right-hand side? Because when Habakkuk talks about the right-hand side of the yet, he's not talking about a what. He's talking about uh, who? He's talking about God. He's talking about the Almighty. He's saying this is what God can do and this is who God is. And the choice I have to make is am I going to live in the why and the what is or am I going to live in the who God is and what God can do? Am I going to live by Him ruling my emotions and my thoughts and my attitudes and my behavior and my faith and my worldview? Am I going to live by Him or am I going to live according to what I'm seeing round about me. Who's going to rule who I am in the midst of this place of yet? Yes, the reality of the situation that you're going through may be very painful and it may, may, be, may be very problematic. And that's the what is. That's the why. And that's the reality. But I want to say to you, there's a greater reality and there's a greater power that's available to you and that's the sovereign Lord God Almighty. He is at work. I mean, look at what Habakkuk says here. Look at verse 18. Look at what he says. He says in verse 18, Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. Read that out loud with me, please. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. The words I will. Those are decision words. Those are words of decision. And here's what Habakkuk is saying. He's saying, look, I don't have any sheep. I don't have any cattle. I don't have any figs. I don't have anything. Yet... Here's my decision. I'm going to rejoice in the Lord, and I'm going to be joyful in God my Savior. What is he saying? He's saying in the midst of all this suffering, in the midst of all this ruin, in the midst of all these problems, God's going to rule. 
He's going to determine my actions. He's going to determine my attitude. He's going to determine my faith. He's going to determine my worldview. Habakkuk seems to be literally throwing himself into the person, the power, and the promises of God. I love what he says. He says, God is my Savior. What does it mean that he's a Savior? It means that God saves things. It's very simple. He saves. God is the great rescuer. He's the great deliverer. He's the great reconciler. God is the one in Jesus Christ who leaves the 99 and comes looking for the one. I thank God that I'm one of the ones he came looking for. You're one of the ones he comes looking for. And I love it that there's no one else who can take the impossible and make it possible like God. He's the master of turning the impossible to possible. Now I know that sometimes circumstances are so great and they're so difficult, they seem so overwhelming that you don't know how to pray. And maybe you don't even feel like praying. I know I've been there. Anybody been there where you just don't know what to pray? You don't even feel like praying. Anybody been there? And I know that what it's like to have such hurt in your life and such frustration that the Bible becomes this dried up, dusty book that means nothing. You might as well be reading the phone book to get as much out as you're getting out of the Bible. And I know what it feels like to be hurting and so frustrated and so beaten up that the idea of going to church nauseates you. I've felt that way, and, and I'm the pastor of the church, and I have felt that way. Because you, I mean, you know, and I probably shouldn't be talking to you. You're here. I need to be talking to folks that maybe aren't here. But, you know, you, people know what you might be going through, and they may ask, and you don't really want to talk about it. Or maybe people have judged you in some way and you just feel like they're looking down on you and you just don't want to mess with that. I get that. I do. But can I encourage you this morning? When you don't feel like praying, pray anyway. When the Bible doesn't seem to be saying anything to you, read it anyway. When you feel like you don't want to go to church, go anyway. Come, or, come late and sit in the back and leave early before really ends but God will speak he'll speak in that prayer time that we seem that seems ineffective he'll speak in that Bible reading time that we don't seem to be really getting anything out of it he'll speak to us I guess what I'm saying is don't close him off press in move forward move to the other side of the yet that's where God is drawing you saying don't live in the what is and the why recognize it for what it is but live in who I am and what I can do and see when you come to church that is making a decision that is making the decision I'm gonna live on the other side of the yet when we do raise our hands in worship when we do open up our Bibles when we when we do spend time with other believers when we when we do move it we are making the decision I'm living on the other side of the yet and that's a daily decision circumstances change they shift things happen around us that we didn't expect it's a daily decision who's going to rule my family and my mind my emotions and my outlook on life it's a constant decision I love what Jesus Christ says I'll invite Sean and the band to come up if they would please I love what Jesus Christ says in Matthew chapter 6 
he says this. He says, do not be worried about tomorrow. Tomorrow will take care of itself. He says, today has enough trouble of its own. Now, how's that for a promise? Put that on your screensaver. I want to commission Sean to write a chorus about how much trouble each day is going to have. God has promised to us. That means every day is a decision. Where am I going to live? Where am I going to live? Who is going to be the ruler of who I am? My brother, 1980, November 29, 1980, he was killed in a head-on collision. And those of you that have been a part of Mount Perrin North for a little while, you, you, you've probably heard me share this story. It was two days after Thanksgiving. It was a Saturday. We had a big family reunion up in Tennessee, and he was 24, I was 21, and he was headed to Augusta with his wife. That's where they lived. They'd only been married a little over a year. They were going to move out of the apartment into the first house they'd ever purchased together as a couple. Early in the morning on Saturday morning, driving eastbound on the interstate, a man driving under the influence was coming westbound, but he was in the eastbound lane. And my brother and his wife hit this man head on. The man and my brother were killed instantly. My sister-in-law survived, and she's married now and has three children. But it was a devastating blow, as you can well imagine, to my family. And see, I'm a, I'm a fourth-generation Pentecostal preacher. Now, I'm not sure if that's a blessing or a curse, but that's, that's what I am. And I have a son who is a Pentecostal preacher, so he's a fifth-generation. I have great-grandparents, grandparents, aunts, uncles, brothers, cousins. I got, we, got, we got the ministry covered. And here we are, people that have served God among all these ministers. We have built churches all over this nation. We have spoken in nations all around the world, trying to win people to Christ, trying to grow people up in the Lord. And God lets my brother get killed? What in the world? Didn't he know this man was going to be driving on the wrong side of the road? There was nothing God could do? You talking about being in the place of yet? I was 21. And I'm beginning to think, God, I'm not sure you're real. I'm beginning to have doubts. How could you let this happen? I don't understand. And my faith is very fragile. It's very, very weak. The day of his funeral, when the funeral service was over, and I know many of you have been to funerals, and you know when the service is over, that what we call the processional, where they, they wheel the casket out with the deceased and the family follows in behind, and obviously that was happening at my brother's funeral. The, the casket was rolling out, and my parents and me were following behind it. And as we're going up the center aisle of the church, the choir that was singing for the funeral service were singing a song and the words of the song went like this keep on praising him keep on praising him when you feel there is no way praise him in the cold darkened night for to praise him in the darkness brings the light and those were the words that were 
reverberating throughout that sanctuary and we're heading up the aisle and my mom with her firstborn child laying dead in a casket as we're heading up the aisle she raises her hands walking up the aisle and she begins to worship God she begins to do what that song said she begins to praise God was she in denial absolutely not her heart was broken it was shattered what was my mother doing my mother was making a decision on which side of the yet she was going to live on she was making a decision who's going to rule and reign in the midst of this sorrow and this hurt I want to tell you something for a 21 year old kid who was doubting God when I saw my mother begin to worship him in that moment man it began to turn me around to help me see this is something very very real I want to say something to you here at Canton as bad as it may get out there as bad as it may continue to seem to unravel in this world and if the scriptures, if we understand the scriptures correctly, it will get worse before it gets better. But I want to tell you, there's a God in the midst of it. And he is here to serve and do in our lives what need to be done. We need not be afraid. We have the truth. We have the answer. We have the hope. Don't be afraid about what's round about you. Know that your God is in the midst of it all. Lift up your hands and proclaim his name our God reigns our God reigns I'm going to invite you to bow your head and close your eyes Father God I just pray in the next few moments your spirit just ministers to where we are we're not burying our heads in the sand is what we see round about us, God. We're going to acknowledge you are the divine God who is in control. I pray right now you'll help us make the decision to live in you. Make the decision to walk in you. Help us in our faithlessness at times. Help us when we don't know how to pray. Help us when we don't know how to search your scriptures. Help us. When we don't know how to worship, help us, God. Thank you, Father, that your Holy Spirit is with us to show us the way. You've not left us alone as orphans, but you've come to us in the Holy Spirit. You empower your people to rise above. For the next few moments, will you make yourself known to those that need you the most in this moment? With your head bound, your eyes closed, and I know this will take a, uh, maybe a little act of a faith, a little act of courage, but I just want to pray for anybody that finds themselves in this place of yet. You find yourself in just a broken place or a, a difficult place, a fearful place, a, a frustrating place, but you say, Pastor Mark, I, I need prayer here today. I'm walking through a difficult place, and I'm making a decision today, Pastor, I'm going to live on the right side of the yet but I need prayer if that's you would you just raise your hand and say pastor mark that's me you put it up good and high no no nothing to be ashamed of nothing to be ashamed of at all I'm gonna invite you if you raised your hand I can't I can't really see because the the, the, the lights are in my so I'm not really sure who if anybody raised their hand but if you did raise your hand or you didn't and you want prayer I'm just gonna invite you right now in this very moment just to stand up where you are I'm not gonna ask you to come forward on the aisle just where you are just stand up right now you need prayer prayer just stand up right where you are nothing to be ashamed of nothing to be embarrassed about 
But we want to pray with you this morning. Now, if you're sitting there and you're a follower of Jesus Christ, and you believe what I have shared with you today about who this God is and what He can do, I want you to move to somebody standing nearby you and just put a hand on them, if you would, please. Just put a hand on them right where they are. Just go to where they are. And now I'm going to invite everybody to stand, if you would. And now, can you just believe with those people that you're praying with? Can you believe with those people that you're standing with right now? That God's going to show Himself in the midst of where they find themselves walking right now? Father, in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, I thank You. I thank You You do not leave us alone. I thank You, God, that You have stepped right to where we are. I thank you, God, that you're not afraid of the mess that we might find ourselves in. You're not afraid of the, of the wickedness that's round about us, God. That, God, you come right to where we are and you're able to minister to us. You're able to do what we need, Father. I pray now for every person that raised his or her hand. I ask in Jesus' name, first and foremost, they would feel your presence among them right now. Maybe they haven't felt your presence in a long time right now. May they feel your presence with them right now. May they know they're not alone. May they know right now that you have not abandoned them. Father, I pray and I ask that you do whatever kind of miracle needs to be done. I pray, Father, that you would enable them to not look at the why and the what is, but to look to who you are and what you can do. We thank you for their promises that you give to us. They are yes and they are amen. Enable us to believe. Enable us to stand strong. Thank you. You make our feet like the deer. No matter how treacherous it seems, you give us the ability to stand. And Father, I pray for us now as a church body. I pray for this Canton campus. I pray for the Marietta campus and every follower of Christ that's a part of these campuses, God. I pray, Father God, we will not be voices of fear, but we will be voices of hope into this earth, God. That we will be voices of light in the midst of the darkness, God. That we will stand fast. That we will have joy in such difficult times that seem to be all around us. That people will look at us and say, what makes you different? Lord Jesus, shine through your people like never before. For one purpose, your praise, your glory, your honor. In Jesus' name, amen. And amen. Can we give God praise in his house today? Give him praise in his house today.